0: The Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch Out, 5th of November, 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. And we've got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about poison in the water. Yep, we talked about poison in the air earlier this week. Now we're underwater. We're going to be talking about an unbelievable case in terms of innocence of Rodney Reed, who's on death row in Texas. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with the connection between luxury consumption and climate change. When it comes to saving the planet. One of the clearest injustices out there is that the countries most responsible for the situation are not doing close enough to their proportional share in terms of solving the problem, while those least responsible are facing the brunt of the impacts of climate change more significantly from drought to forced migration. A new study from Oxfam and the Institute for European Economic Policy has broken that down more, noting it's not simply the global north that is disproportionately responsible for carbon emissions, but the elite one percent and also the elite 10% of the global population whose luxury consumption consumes huge amounts of carbon, enough on its own to destroy the earth. They note that while this has been the case, the issue is actually getting worse. For instance, they note, quote, the share of global emissions associated with the consumption of the richest 1% is set to grow from 13% in 1990, 15% in 2015, to 16% in 2030. They also detail that, quote, people in the richest 1% of the global population are said to have per capita consumption emissions footprints in 2030 that are still 25% higher than in 1990 and 16 times higher than the global average and 30 times higher than the global per capita level compatible with the one and a half degree Celsius goal. And that's one and a half degrees Celsius warming by the end of the century. That's the goal to keep the planet from being totally destroyed. They also go on to note that, quote, the national level in each of the major emitting countries, the richest 10 percent of citizens are set to have per capita emissions in 2030 that are substantially higher than the global average per capita level compatible with a one and a half degree Celsius goal. To put the disparities in some perspectives, by 2030, the richest 1 percent will be, if we stay on the current track, releasing 70 tons of CO2 per capita by 2030. The poorest 50% of the world's population would be emitting one ton of CO2 annually by 2030. So, by 2030, richest 1%, 70 tons of CO2 per person. Poorest 50%, one ton of CO2 per person. Overall, the report notes that, quote, the total emissions associated with 90% of the global population combined will only just exceed the total global 1.5 degrees Celsius compatible emissions level in 2030, while the total emissions associated with the consumption of just the richest 10% of the world population alone will nearly amount to that level. So just to sum up here, we need to keep the planet from warming more than 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. The richest 10% of the world alone, if they keep going as projected, will take us over that level. The 90% of the rest of the world if nothing changes, would also take us just over the level we need to be as well. But when you put those two numbers together, what it really means is curbing the luxury lives of the world's rich is the key element to keeping the planet habitable. This is critical to understanding how we are actually going to save the planet. The report notes that for the poorest 50% of the world, emissions per capita could increase by 200%. And still be compatible with the global level of per capita emissions needed to meet the one and a half degree threshold. They also note that already in their modeling, the global middle classes, people between the poorest 50% and richest 10%, are already seeing the biggest overall per capita emissions cuts due to the existing measures to curb climate change. The richest are the biggest laggards, with their per capita emissions set to decline by 5% by 2030, when they need to decline by 90%. So again, Just to sum up, the climate crisis is, yes, of course, about capitalism, but not just that capitalism produces things with fossil fuels, but also the deeply unequal distribution of resources. Everyone does not, in fact, have to sacrifice equally to save the planet. The level of sacrifice decreases as you go down the income scale. And in fact, you or we can drastically improve the lives of the poorest people on Earth while saving the planet. And, in fact, the key thing we need to eliminate is the obscene luxury consumption of the ultra-rich. Rodney Reed is on Texas' death row for murder. He's been there since 1998. He maintains his innocence, and there's quite a bit of evidence to back him up. In 2019, he received a stay of execution. In July of this year, he was finally granted a hearing on whether or not he will be able to get a new trial. The judge at that hearing recommended this week that the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals not grant Reed a new trial. However, that is just a recommendation and he could still gain a reprieve. Reed's case has been championed by advocates across the country because the evidence that he did not kill Stacy Stittis back in 1998 is easily strong enough to grant a new trial and speaks heavily to his outright innocence. The ruling this week by the judge revolves around whether or not to believe the testimony of Stittis' abusive boyfriend, Jimmy Fennell. Witnesses have documented that Fennell a cop, had threatened to kill Stidus. Not just that, but he had threatened to choke her with a belt, which is exactly how she died. Texas, by the way, has refused to allow that belt to be tested for DNA. Another witness said they heard Fennel say at Stidus' funeral that she got what she deserved. There's also the downstairs neighbor who said they fought a lot. And additionally, Fennel, who was jailed in 2007 for kidnapping and raping another woman, well, one of his cellmates in prison, said that Finnell admitted that he killed Stittis. but on top of that, evidence has shown Stittis has died hours before police originally alleged. The cops came up with the time of death without even searching the apartment for a sign of struggle between Stittis and Finnell. And this is crucial because the whole theory of the crime is that Reed killed Stittis on her way to work, which at this point is borderline impossible given the new timeline of her death. There's also the fact that the main DNA evidence, which is Reed's semen, has now been discredited because the forensics experts who testified in the original trial have now testified they made serious errors in their original testimony. They all testified that his sperm, which was found on her, could only have been left in the previous 24 hours. But they now all admit it could have been left as much as three to four days before, which speaks to another part of Reed's argument, which is that he and Stidis had a consensual relationship, which again, witnesses corroborate. So by any real measure, including, by the way, what we know about police officers who disproportionately, compared to the population, commit domestic violence offenses, and also what we know about intimate partner violence, would say that Reed clearly deserves a new trial is probably innocent that this guy Fennell almost certainly did it. But the judge who gave the advisory opinion just chose to ignore all the evidence and said the original story and evidence seemed fine to him, despite huge amounts of it being totally discredited. All Reed is asking for is a new trial to consider all the evidence above. Clearly, that is asking for just the absolute bare minimum, given the state of the evidence. And hopefully, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals ends up agreeing. (laughs) We spoke to you earlier this week about poison in the air. Now we turn to poison in the water. In fact, around 200 million people in the United States are estimated to be at risk of having toxic fluorinated chemicals... Known as PFAS chemicals, forever chemicals is another way that they're referred to in their water at levels higher than experts consider to be safe. And that the EPA and other government agencies at the state level are not doing nearly enough to address it. As the Environmental Working Group details, quote, PFAS are called forever chemicals because they are among the most persistent toxic compounds in existence, contaminating everything from drinking water to food, food packaging and personal care products. They are found in the blood of virtually everyone on Earth, including newborn babies. They never break down in the environment. And EWG goes on to note that, quote, very low doses of PFAS chemicals in drinking water have been linked to suppression of the immune system and are associated with an elevated risk of cancer and reproductive and developmental harms, among other serious health concerns, end quote. While there are 600 known PFAS chemicals active in the U.S. water supply, the EPA has established no legal limit for the amounts that can be in the water. Further, they only measure the impact of one chemical at a time rather than the cumulative effects of having a bunch of the chemicals in your water, which of course means they are undercounting the seriousness of the issue. The EPA has also been shown to give more weight to the financial impact of treating poison water than the public health impact of actually making sure the water is not poisoned. The 200 million number comes from those who live in places with water systems that have over one part per trillion of any of these chemicals in their water, the level experts consider to be the safe limit. The Environmental Working Group actually has a tool where you can enter your zip code and see about your own water. And, you know, hey, I did it just for the hell of it. It turns out I'm using water from the tap where there are 10 PFAS chemicals in the water higher than the safe limit. EWG points out that this, of course, is, by design, that the EPA is essentially captured by the corporate interests who don't want to change their entire production processes to make sure we are safe. So, here we are, yet again, a situation where the interests of profit trump the needs of people. That's the punch out for today.